Welcome to Pick 6 Movies. We are all so happy that you've taken some time to stop by and let us fill your head with movie tomfoolery. What kind of tomfoolery am I referring to? Well, each season we pick six movies all related to a single theme and then we find six movies all related to that theme. And after that, we select one of those movies and give you, the podcast listener, some behind-the-scenes information on how and why that movie got made. Following that, we continue the tomfoolery with a full review of the movie from start to finish to see if it is any good. Who is the we of which I speak? Well, it's none other than me, Chad Cooper. I'm a lifelong friend. Mr. Bo Ransdale. This season's theme is Domo Arigato, featuring six movies all about robots. And on this particular episode, we head back to school. And how far back are we headed? Well, all the way back to the 1900s, with the post-apocalyptic hellscape nightmare of a movie titled Class of 1999. This is a movie all about out-of-control kids, and it's going to take more than a Morgan Freeman with a baseball bat or a Robin Williams with a book of poetry or even a Michelle Pfeiffer in a leather jacket to set these kids straight. This movie requires robots to get these unruly kids to stop misbehaving, robots that aren't afraid to bounce a kid off a wall or give them a robust spanking or even fire a flamethrower, maybe a rocket launcher at them to make sure they shape up or ship out. So before we begin our fooling of Toms with all the promised Tom foolery, let's get Mr. Bo Ransdell in here to introduce us to the class of 1999 and school us on the people who brought this low-budget grindhouse film to theaters somewhere. Bo, take it away. kids these days, am I right? What with their hula hoops and designer drugs and TikToks, why kids today are worse than they've ever been. Or so goes the popular wisdom, but is it true? Why that's just what an introduction like this ought to get to the bottom of. So pick sixers, let us take a cinematic journey through Kids Gone Wild and then take a peek at just how much of our perception is true. First things first, when did teenagers become their own demographic? It would seem that they've been with us forever, and humans between the ages of 12 and 20 certainly have been. But as a group known as teenagers, that's different. Much like Valentine's Day, teenagers are as much a product of marketing as anything else. The term didn't even come into the popular lexicon until the late 1940s and early 1950s, when the twin forces of a booming post-war economy and consumerism collided. It turns out that kids between the ages of 12 and 20 have some serious issues with long-term decision-making and tend to be impulsive. This is on account of their prefrontal cortexes not being completely formed yet. Romeo and Juliet would never have dosed themselves with poison if they were in their mid-30s. Romeo would have gotten drunk at a bar and Juliet would have found some other, better, less problematic man, but perhaps not as smooth a talker. It's just this kind of mushy, impulsive decision-making that makes teenagers fantastic targets for that leech of the business world, the advertiser. With the right pitch, you can make a teenager believe or want almost anything. And with their folks flush with post-war cash, these teenagers of the early 50s had a lot of disposable income. And when it came to movies, something we enjoy talking about here on this podcast, Teenagers were a reliable demographic for going to movies, sometimes over and over and over again. 
there was a strange symbiosis formed between teenagers and movies about teenagers. In 1953, Marlon Brando lit up the screen in Rebel Without a Cause. In the film, he's a motorcycle-riding, misunderstood teenager who, when asked what he's rebelling against, answers, What do you got? It was this sort of swaggering, unfocused dissatisfaction with the trappings of adulthood that helped define the very nature of teenagerhood. It gave voice to a growing sense that the so-called real world and all of its responsibilities and expectations might carry with it more than just a whiff of bullshit. In 1955, we saw the release of James Dean's Rebel Without a Cause and Blackboard Jungle, one of the first notable movies with an integrated cast to make a statement about uniting against oppression. And that low-key rebellion meant big money for any studio that could harness all that angst. In 1956, Rock Around the Clock was released with a campaign aimed almost exclusively to teenagers. The story of the early days of rock and roll was seasoned with a lot of rock and roll, primitive forms when heard with modern ears, but kids those days didn't care. They made the movie a huge success and started a revolution in film production and marketing, creating entertainment aimed solely at teenagers. And the Rebel Teen movie was still in full swing too. Untamed Youth, Teenage Rebel, Wild Youth, This Rebel Breed, all movies released in the late 50s with similar titles so teens knew exactly what they were getting when they plunked down their quarter for a ticket. And let's pause to enjoy the teen melodrama trend. Movies where romance, some of it quite dark, featured in the lives of teens. Often these teens were involved in doomed romances or with older men or women. 18 and Anxious, Unwed Mother, The Explosive Generation, Splendor in the Grass, A Summer Place, Lolita, Underage, all telling tales of sexual repression or deviance. Notable for a look at homosexuality, though in the movie it is cured by an older woman, is Tea and Sympathy. Most of these movies did not scratch beneath the surface of the psychology of teen sexuality, but it was the 50s and 60s, and most mental health advice boiled down to rub some dirt on it and walk it off. For the next two decades, movie studios aimed squarely at teens with movies that no right-thinking adult would watch, like How to Stuff a Wild Bikini or The Wild Surf or all of those Gidget movies. These movies combined comedy, light romance, and some sex appeal to get young butts in the seats. And then came the 1970s, when teen movies broke out of their own genre and infected others. Horror movies like Carrie featured teens doing teen stuff, getting ready for prom, dealing with difficult parents, and resolving peer pressure in often unhealthy ways. One of the biggest hits of the decade was Love Story, an extremely saccharine tale of doomed teen and young adult love that was made on the back of an extremely saccharine novel, but both did shockingly well, financially speaking. And then there was American Graffiti, which was both aimed at teen culture and nostalgic for teen culture of 20 years before. From the 1970s through to the mid-80s, there was a new version of the Beach Party movie that teens flocked to, the slasher film. Starting with Halloween and Friday the 13th, producers found that if you came up with a gimmick and squeezed in some bloody murder, teenagers would flock to the theaters to see people roughly their own age murdered horribly. 
from The Prowler to Happy Birthday to Me to Terror Train to The Intruder, there were dozens of these movies and teenagers kept them afloat through vigorous box office well past their expiration date. Speaking of the 80s, this was truly the golden age of teen movies. John Hughes emerged as the king of all teen melodrama with a series of movies intended to capture the ridiculousness and angst of being a teenager. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Pretty in Pink, Some Kind of Wonderful, Sixteen Candles, and of course, The Breakfast Club, all managed to give teenagers a world they understood, filled with spotty-faced protagonists trying to find their place in the world at an age where they're too young to be grown up and too old to be a kid. Ali Sheedy says in The Breakfast Club, when you grow up, your heart dies. From a Hughesian point of view, this perfectly summed up the pain of being a teen, a life on the cusp of losing one's soul to corporate masters and day-to-day responsibility. In the 90s, the teen movie morphed from high melodrama to more pure comedy, often inspired by classic works of literature. Dazed and Confused was a riff on American Graffiti, only shifting the teen nostalgia up 20 years from the 50s to the 70s, but scored big as a cult hit. Can't Hardly Wait had hints of the Hugh style of melodrama, but played as a big and loud comedy. Clueless, Ten Things About You, and the Boz Lerman remake of Romeo and Juliet all hit with teens in updated and shinier forms, and then some teen films got downright raunchy, as American Pie and its ilk harkened back to the boob comedies of the 1980s, which were aimed less at teens than college kids, but let's not pretend there weren't kids of teen age sneaking into those movies back then too. The snarkiness of the 2000s left nothing sacred, and that included teen movies. Not another teen movie, scary movie, mean girls, all of these skewered the tropes that had concretized in the teen movie genre. The nerdy girl taking off her glasses and becoming suddenly beautiful, the paint romances, the best friend standing by while his or her love dates the wrong person, it was ripe for the picking. But that same decade saw a bit of postmodernist reconstruction emerging in the teen film, too. Juno, Napoleon Dynamite, and Superbad all grounded their characters in the real while surrounding them with absurdist comedy. For all of Superbad's silliness, at heart, it's a movie about the pain of growing up and leaving high school behind along with your friends. Likewise, Napoleon Dynamite takes a near surreal look at the outsider in high school and elevates him to something heroic. And there is no stop. It appears that so long as kids continue to age, movies will be made for and about this time in their lives, even though it was an invention of 70 years ago. Recently, Booksmart and Lady Bird and 8th Grade have surfaced as both a continuation of these movies and a reinvention. Booksmart, in particular, suggests that all the romantic love portrayed in the standard teen movie is secondary to the platonic relationships that form the tightest bonds. There has been a change in teens, though, who once thought of themselves as a unified demographic. Now teens are as fractured as the rest of us, not identifying with their fellow teens because of their common age. They are not, to put a point on it, a cohesive cultural group the way they proved to be in previous decades. And back to where we started, With all of this cultural reflection on the silver screen, 
Are teenagers better or worse than they were in the 50s or the 80s or even the 2000s? Well, it's a mixed bag, statistically speaking. Teens these days are slower to mature. Compared to teens of the past 50 years or so, they are less likely to have tried alcohol, have sex, or go on dates. Teen pregnancy is way down as a result, but it also means they are not developing the same skills previous generations did to achieve and maintain independence. Teens are less interested in going out, which can be blamed partially on technology. Why go on a date when you can just wink it to porn on your phone? But also, there is a cultural root to this. Western culture is pretty easy right now, comparatively speaking. There's no draft or a war, the wars that are being fought are thousands of miles away, families are generally wealthier than any time in the past, and while there are plenty of social ills, there's no immediate and existential threat unless you count climate change, which is weird and ephemeral and hard to consider in this context. So, as a result of an easier life, there is less need for teens to get more mature. So they don't. Fewer kids want to drive or get a driver's license. Test scores are up, but graduation rates are down. More kids than ever before expect to go to college, and this latest generation exhibits greater empathy than almost any generation before. And yet, and yet, they also have the highest rates of suicide ever seen. Mental health is a major crisis among teenagers, fueled by the effects of social media and its impossible standards, and there is a sense of a lack of control. In previous generations, there was an idea that they wanted to take over, or tear the system down, or rail against the man, or tear down the machine, or whatever, or do something to shake things up. This latest generation instead expresses a belief that nothing they do will change the basic structure of society, a perceived helplessness that contributes to the poor mental health they display. It doesn't help that they don't read. Reading for pleasure among teens is at an all-time low while also being a major determiner for success and adaptability in the workforce. In short, this generation is growing up slower and sadder, if a little bit smarter. It's an odd combination and only time will tell its long-term effects on culture, but the rebels of years past, largely gone. Most kids today, when given simulations and hypotheticals, prefer life to remain status quo, which is odd considering how hopeless they see that status quo. Kids these days, am I right? Which brings us to this episode's feature, Class of 1999. The movie is a loose sequel to another movie by this film's director, Mark L. Lester. We've enjoyed his work previously on our Firestarter episode, way back in Season 9, Episode 6. In Class of 1984, a new teacher is terrorized by a group of young punks and ends up having to kill them all one by one. In our film, Class of 1999, the young punks are now in the near future, and they are so bad that a military weapons manufacturer has to be called in to take care of these rambunctious ruffians. Mark L. Lester is an interesting director, working almost exclusively in B-grade films, but he has flirted with real success. Not only did he direct this and Firestarter, he directed the Arnold Schwarzenegger film Commando, his biggest hit by a mile, and he also directed the Eugene Levy-John Candy comedy, Armed and Dangerous. Oh, and there was Showdown in Little Tokyo, starring Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son, alongside Dolph Lundgren. 
he's a master of schlock, and for that, I salute him. His movies may not be good exactly, but they are often insanely watchable. The film was written by C. Courtney Joyner, who did a little bit of everything. He is most known by me and other B-movie weirdos as the guy who wrote a lot of the Full Moon Entertainment Library, including the Doctor Strange knockoff Doctor Mordred, Trancers 3, which he also directed, Lurking Fear, Puppet Master vs. Demonic Toys, and many others. So you know you're in good hands already. Director Mark Lester assembled a veritable, who's that again, of actors for the film. You have Bradley Gregg as Cody, best known to me as the kid who gets puppeted off a building by Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream Warriors, the second best film of the franchise. He's joined by Tracy Lind as Christy, who also appeared in such films as Bugsy with Warren Beatty, The Road to Wellville, that movie about John Harvey Kellogg where Anthony Hopkins wanted to give everyone an enema, The End of Violence, and of course, My Boyfriend's Back, the touching tale of a girl and her zombie boyfriend. Cody's brother Angel is played by Joshua John Miller, who you may remember as Homer in Near Dark or Tim in River's Edge. He's still working in movies, but no longer as an actor. He recently wrote the film The Final Girls with Thaisa Farmiga and Malin Ackerman, which he also produced, and he since developed and wrote much of the series The Queen of the South. Good for him. Malcolm McDowell shows up as the principal and Christie's dad, and you all know who he is. If you don't, watch A Clockwork Orange, and then for a fun game, try to get that movie out of your head for the rest of your life. At the top of our list for the film's villains is a ridiculous Stacy Keach, who is a fixture of Hollywood. He's played everything from hard-boiled detective Mike Hammer to Sergeant Stadenko in the Cheech and Chong movie Up in Smoke. Chances are, if you've seen a movie or television show made in the past, oh, 40 years or so, he's probably popped up somewhere. Oh, and it was his idea to do the whole albino eyes and hair thing in this movie, which is a brilliant decision if you ask me. Pam Greer plays the chemistry teacher robot, and she is not only Jackie Brown in Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown, she's a legitimate icon. One could do a whole piece just on her and her run of exploitation movies in the 70s, where she emerged as a cultural icon, marrying blackness and femininity with the ability to kick ass. She is amazing, I love her, and everyone else should too. The villain with a name so nice they named it twice is Patrick Kilpatrick, the rocket-launching PE robot. He's a character actor that's still working today and has been for about 40 years, and if that ain't success as an actor, I don't know what is. I saved the best for last, John P. Ryan, who portrays the evil history teacher of our film, is an absolute joy. As of this recording now, the man is almost 90 years old and was last seen teaching acting. Good. More people ought to have as much fun on screen as this guy did in movies ranging from the Wachowskis' Bound to Runaway Train. The guy was best as a villain, though, turning on a dime from sophistication to ruthless evil in movies like 3 O'Clock High, Death Wish 4, Delta Force 2, you name a low-grade action movie series and he was probably a villain in one of the entries and the world is better for it. The movie itself very nearly missed its chance to appear in theaters. Produced by Vestron Pictures, that company went bankrupt right before the movie was due to hit screens and director Mark Lester had to negotiate with United Film Distribution Company, the same company that released Class of 1984, to get the movie out even in a limited run. Also, if you listen close, 
you can hear Nine Inch Nails head like a hole in the background of one scene. Wait a second, you might rightfully say. This doesn't seem like the kind of movie that would shell out Nine Inch Nails money. Well, it is if nobody knew who the hell Trent Reznor or Nine Inch Nails was. In fact, Lester got his soundtrack by going to Seattle clubs where the movie was shot and offering $100 to bands he liked for the use of their songs. And yes, Trent Reznor was $100 richer thanks to this movie. But the real question is, are we richer as a society for this movie existing? To answer that, let's get the guy I've known since before I was a teenager in here to crack open the WD-40 and see what squeaks in this robotic romp. Ladies and gentlemen, punk students and robot teachers, it's 1990s Class of 1999. Welcome back, everyone, to Pick 6 Movies, the only show that I'm aware of that talks about movies in a podcast format. Mm -hmm. I am one of your hosts, Robot Poe, with me as ever, Robot Chad. Robot Chad. Yeah, people. <laughs> I am a robot. So, after some highfalutin big-budget movies, yes, we are going back to sort of the roots of the show, mm -hmm. where we are talking about... Lowfalutin, no-budget movies. That's right. Class of 1999, as you heard in the introduction, directed by Mark L. Lester, who is sort of an auteur of crap. This may be the first movie we've ever discussed on Pick 6 Movies that could be classified as a grindhouse film you think so yeah maybe maybe i'd have to look back through the library i don't remember the last movie we did much less the entire run at this point i think that this is one of those movies where the filmmakers knew exactly what they were doing and they made a movie that was so intentionally ridiculous and batshit crazy mm -hmm. and they wanted the movie audience to react like they were in an amusement park funhouse it's just bonkers yes this movie is nuts and I think you're right. I think this movie knows exactly what it is. It knows exactly what it's doing. I don't think anything is accidental. And for all of the craziness and silliness of the movie, all of it is meant to be there. This is not a movie where accidents happened. I think that probably some of the safety protocols with the practical <laughs> effects and pyrotechnics, I think there were absolutely accidents that happened. During that gang war scene, I think there were some people that got hit by shrapnel. Man, one of the things I like so much about this movie is there is nothing that is not an in-camera effect. This was obviously pre-CGI. Well, even if there was CGI, they didn't have CGI budget because it was right. cost prohibitive. Yeah, and that's kind of what I love about this is that for all of the chintzy effects, and some of them come off and some of them don't, but it's Most all of them real. don't. Most of them <laughs> don't. When we get to the PE bot at the end of the movie, especially. Right. But all of that is somehow kind of charming with this movie i agree with that it feels like somebody gave a kid who had grown up making movies in his backyard two hundred thousand dollars and said now go make the best backyard movie anybody ever saw or they gave a group of kids that money and said we want you to do a remake of the terminator but with school teachers remember those kids that did the shot for shot remake of raiders of the lost ark in their backyard yes it's like that 
but yes, a little yes, worse. Yes. This movie was released in theaters, Bo, alongside Pretty Woman, uh-huh. The Hunt for Red October, Driving Miss Daisy, and that first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which was pretty good thanks to Jim Henson's puppet work. Mm-hmm. Well, he probably didn't make the puppets, but his team did. You look at the quality of this film compared to those other movies, and you're just like, clearly they were targeting a different demographic than all those other movies. Oh, sure. And I would rather watch this movie than at least two of those. This movie does have a lot of Terminator DNA in it. Uh Terminator 2 had yet to come out yet. And when it starts off, it even gives us this poor man's dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Mm-hmm. With the flashing shapes and these colored backgrounds. I didn't know what I was watching. I was like, are these crystals or overdeveloped film? Who knows? And then the movie just resolves into this purple head of, like, is it one of our bad guy robots? I couldn't tell. I have it kind of looks like the Terminator idea. skull, but you know. Let's just jump into it from there because this movie has a fair amount of credit but it doesn't really dick around with just the credits like the credits mostly play over action of the movie yes which i'm okay with that also i like the fact that mark l lester had the sheer gall chad to call it a mark l lester film (laughs) which speaking of highfalutin (laughs) i mean film uh, if it had been called a mark l lester flick Okay, you got me. But film is, uh, I don't know. Being of the age where the year 1999 always seemed to live in the distant future, up until like even 1998, 1999 seemed far away. It's because of the Prince song. Because Prince was like, hey, we're going to party like it's 1999. And you're like, oh yeah, that's when the world ends. <laughs> and there was a lot of talk about that. Remember, like there was a lot of, not just the Y2K stuff, but you had some knucklehead that you knew that was like, oh yeah, the Aztec calendar ends in the year 2000 because that's when everything ends. And you're like, oh yeah, you're probably right. That sounds official. When everybody knows, Shad, it's 2026. They throw up the title of this movie, Class of 1999. And here, this is followed by a real basic computer graphic outline of the united states in blue neon and we hear a robotic voiceover say in 1992 there were 5,437, six, seven, something, something violent incidents in American high schools. In some cities, these schools began to fall under the control of violent youth gangs. By 1997, the number tripled. Gangs had taken large sections of the cities, and some schools were shut down. Also, don't smoke like me, or else you will have to use one of these voice modulators. <sighs> oh, that sweet Carolina smoke. <sighs> It's just Andy Garcia from (laughs) Dead Again. How about you give me one of those cigarettes? Then they show us a map of Seattle, which I was like, I guess this is Seattle. And the voice like, now it's 1999. Gang controls areas known as fire zones. Mm -hmm. Kennedy High School is in the middle of a free fire zone. Police will not enter. There is no law. The Department of Educational Defense. The what? Don't ask too many questions. It was formed (laughs) to reopen schools and control gangs. Does anyone have a light? The Department of Educational Defense. (laughs) Pretty good. And then we go to our future boardroom, Chad. Fade out, fade in on Stacey Keach. And his, as I mentioned in the introduction, his idea to wear these pale scleral lenses to give himself white eyes and a pale mullet that is really something. It's not a Billy Ray Cyrus mullet. Mm -mm. It's short on top, but in the back, it tapers into like a very 
thick rat tail. It's more like a dog tail down to his shoulder blades. It's ridiculous. And these albino eyes, just to clarify what we mean by this, because you're thinking, is it just a big white eyeball with nothing in it? It's You got the white part. Mm -hmm. Then there's a black ring. Mm -hmm. And then the iris of the eye is white with a black pupil in the middle. And he has black eyebrows and a black mustache that does not match his white hair. That's right. And you're immediately like, oh, this is a bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) This has to be a villain because he looks like he is going to eventually fight Spider-Man. It's like watching any animated film. And then if a character shows up with a furrowed brow and green eyes, you're like, oh, they're a bad guy. And in the spirit of this movie not fucking around with bullshit that you don't need. Because Uh one of the things I will say about this movie, it is efficient in its storytelling. There's a lot that happens and it does not linger in a scene longer than it has to. Film cost a lot of money back in the day. Wasn't shot on digital. Come on, people, we're losing daylight. We got to develop this. You know how much it costs to develop movie? You mentioned Stacey Keach being Sergeant Stadinko (laughs) in the Cheech and Chong movies. Remember in Nice Dreams when he smoked that weed and it turned him into a lizard by the end of the movie (laughs) vaguely it's been a long time since i've watched the cheech and chong oeuvre in that movie cheech marin is in the bathroom at a urinal taking a piss and stacy keach comes in beside him and cheech marin says something to him like you know sometimes when you gotta go real bad like you can't go because he's a little froze up (laughs) i think about cheech martin and stacy keach a lot of times when i'm at the urinal whatever gets the flow going i guess But yeah, Stacey Keach is like, well, hello, everyone. I represent Megatech. <laughs> you're like, oh, well, that sounds official. <laughs> Let's quit screwing around. I would like to introduce you to the robots of our movie. And as he is introducing this, we're doing some cutting back and forth between Stacey Keach introducing the robots. To like the Board of Education. Right. And, and Malcolm McDowell, who's the principal yes. of the high school. Malcolm McDowell is in the room, but not so you notice for about the first five minutes. No. And intercut with this is our main character, Cody. Yes. Who is a, in quotes, gangbanger. Although he looks <laughs> much more like a guy that would be working at the local record store (laughs) or hot topic there's a lot of colored spandex in this movie that Mm -hmm. i appreciate but he's being let out of prison at the same time and stacy keach is like so everyone i have managed to inform all of these robots with uh history chemistry and physical education they've also been programmed to deal with discipline And this is where Malcolm McDowell stands up and is like, um, yes, Malcolm McDowell, head of Kennedy High School. I can't believe that these things aren't human. Look at them. They look like people. And he is so surprised by this. He gets up in the PE teacher's face and the PE teacher says, yes, I am a PE teacher. I am programmed with 1 million megabytes. And then just grabs his upper and lower lip and pulls them apart. And there's a quick cut, of course, because human beings can't do that. And when they cut back, it's clearly just this rubber mask that somebody has put over this robot face. And it's got a computer chip right in the middle, just like Megan. And... The rest of the boardroom gasps, Chad. Like, oh, we didn't expect there to be robot parts inside this robot. So we have our three robots. Uh So there is the Mr. History bot. And then there is the Pam Greer bot. She's Uh the science teacher. That's right. And then there's the PE teacher bot. Yes, all of this is true. Right. So we have those are our three individuals. So to compare this against Megan and Heartbeats, where we have people playing robots, they're not do 
doing the beep bop, I am a robot, bending at the hip and the joints. They're just walking around like regular people. So <laughs> yeah. Malcolm McDowell's surprise is not unfounded. They're just people like, hey, what's going on? Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. But hey, guess what? I'm a robot. Really? All is right. that Jerry over there? Good to see you, pal. <laughs> so they're being introduced and we cut back after the gasps and applause of like oh my goodness look at these robots we go back to cody who is being told by his police officer slash parole officer slash prison guard you need to report to school by 9 a.m or you're going right back to jail prison is this that he's in because it's not juvie and at one point when he's walking out everybody's chunking their toilet paper at him which i'm like i doubt (laughs) that they would be losing one of their most valuable commodities and then three grown men come walking back to their cells wearing nothing but white towels around their waists like it's a day spa i mean it's clearly not a day spa but where are we what is he in for we never find that out i guess unless it's crimes of fashion am i right bo oh you you couldn't be more right chad (laughs) if anyone knows about fashion it's us <laughs> or you well me, me i didn't want to sell you short uh but yes i am quite the fashion horse so then we go back to stacy keach now everyone malcolm mcdowell has a few words to say yes my school has been dealing with drugs and violence and kids with prison records are now being released back into the school because of this secret project we're doing it's very exciting very excited to have these robots in the school Also, just to let everyone here know, this is a secret program sponsored by the Department of Education Defense. Remember, shh, it's a secret, all right? We're in cahoots with Megatech. We're going to get classes back up and running lickety-split, all right? This program will actually allow the most dangerous, troublesome students to be released back into the school population. Can you imagine that? How wonderful it will be to have the most problematic young adults running about our school doing battle with robots that look like people. Did you see these three? They're real robots. They're not people. Do that thing with your mouth again. Everyone, applaud. Applaud. Fantastic, isn't it? We cut over to Cody again, who's finally out of jail. He's got his little half jacket on, which I really like. Let's talk about this jacket. (laughs) Yes, please. It looks like he's wearing a child's jacket or maybe like a woman's jacket. The cut of it is at the top of his rib cage. It looks like he washed it in (laughs) uh, hot water and it shrank on him. But only for the torso. Somehow the arms got longer. I mean, it looks like he's wearing doll's clothes he comes out and he's greeted by his brother or maybe it's his sister because i could not tell if this person was male female or somewhere in between and this person's name is angel which confused me even more and i watched this with my wife and the whole time we were just like is angel a guy or a girl or non-binary like i don't know but we'll just keep moving angel is there and is accompanied Bo, with ed from the sadly long forgotten incredibly entertaining tv show northern exposure if you don't know what any of those words mean just roll with it but northern exposure was a wonderful show back in the late 80s early 90s yeah you can't find it anywhere very good show barry corbin who we recently had on the program was uh, a big part of that and he's fantastic what was he in what was barry corbin in maybe i'm just thinking of the fact that i watched war games recently <laughs> i think that's it <laughs> sometimes i get confused chad wait when are we gonna record by the way 
So, Ed from Northern Exposure and everyone else, they all look like glam rock drug dealing gang bangers from the future, but they look nothing like any of that at all. And Angel tells his brother Cody, hey, I'm getting jumped in next week into the gang. And getting jumped into a gang is a ritual where the gang just beats the shit out of you as a form of initiation into said gang. And then this trio hops into this modified red Oldsmobile boat of a car that looks like it came out of the pages of dick tracy the familiar red oldsmobuick yes oh my god the wheel wells are oversized and puffed out and the back end of the car is all bloated forget about parallel parking this thing anywhere you would need two parking spaces in a row this thing's gonna cost you a fortune to park on any major city street you're putting in two probably three meters at any given time you let those things run out you're gonna come back you're gonna have three tickets mister it is just this old detroit piece of steel immediately as soon as they get in the car ed from northern exposure is like hey you want some edge let's get high and they pull out these red and blue plastic containers and they just start huffing whatever's inside like they're poppers well cody doesn't because cody is now straight edge well he him out the window and from northern exposure says hey what gives you used to enjoy getting high with your brother or, or sister whoever it is and cody says times change dude now look i realize that bradley greg appeared in stand by me uh-huh. with Corey Feldman, Bradley Gregg, the person who plays Cody, had a much smaller role. He was like the number two to Kiefer Sutherland in that film. And Bradley Gregg is four years older than Corey Feldman. But in this movie, Bradley Gregg is doing the greatest impression of Corey Feldman that I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Number two, Uh Corey Feldman. He actually does a pretty good Corey Feldman impression. Not as good as Bradley Gregg, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the best. They drive into the Free Fire Zone, which is this war zone run entirely by children. It's like Lord of the Flies run amok. And Ed from Northern Exposure is like, we've got to get out of here because the Razorheads control this whole area. This is suicide. Why are we driving through here? Do they have any drugs? At which point, Chad? immediately an armored car with a turret on top of it just starts chasing him we are three minutes out of jail Mm -hmm. and already being chased by some sort of homemade tank they do stop for a moment to talk to hector who is the leader of the razorhead there are two groups there are the razorheads and they're the blackhearts Mm -hmm. so angel's gonna get jumped into the blackhearts and that's the gang that cody used to be a part of i guess ed from northern exposure is part of it i don't know and then the razorheads they got a real beef so this encounter with hector ends with ed from northern exposure saying we'll see you in school assholes and then this is where these off-brand mad max mobiles give chase just as you said spraying bullets everywhere <laughs> there is a 100 chance that members of the razor heads were killed by friendly fire absolutely it is just it's left right do what you got to do to stop this boat of a car they're driving through people's yards explosions are going off chad as this thing apparently is firing mortar shells at them did you see this one moment in the movie the stunt oversight in this film is non-existent yeah sure and if you ever watch this movie please don't but if you do in this scene three neighborhood citizens run into a house to get away from all of the gunfire and it might be a mother and a child or a tall woman and a shorter woman and on their way into the house the shorter person child just clocks their head into the door frame of this building <laughs> it's at the eight minute seven second mark if you want to check it out i watched it 10 times it's the funniest moment of the whole movie that's fantastic <laughs> and it's a full run looking over their shoulder and they turn around and it's just katow great great that's exactly what you want to see from this movie they end up driving through this barricade at which point hector the head of the Razorheads, is in a car 
church pursuing them. He is in the back of a pickup truck, which is important because of what happens next. Somehow or another, this truck hits a ramp and goes half a ramp flying into the air <laughs> spinning over onto its back mm-hmm. and landing at which point cody says i guess hector's gonna be a little late for school bum, 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 bum. there is a absolute glut of a team style <laughs> explosions of people flying around in this movie which i love which is one of the things that makes this movie great <laughs> This armored school bus ends up following Cody into the parking lot, or just happens to be behind Cody and his gang. Imagine that poor school bus driver picking up these kids in this futuristic dystopia. I mean, it's not that far (laughs) off, trust me. But they're all armed, because they have to give up their guns when they go into the school at some sort of Second Amendment coat check that they're doing. And we'll get to it in a second, but there's one kid I really love. But the, So the whole place is protected by some private military organization, one presumes Megatech. But they don't explain that, but that's okay. Keep that, going. That's fine. There's like a watchtower, like a prison. There's a speaker announcing that they have to surrender their weapons, like you said. And there is this little one-person future car that somebody has driven to school. Uh-huh. Like, oh, that's daddy definitely bought that (laughs) and so one of these paramilitary goons comes to search the car and when he tries to resist they grab ed from northern exposure and just drag him off and angel is like hey we think go fight those guys and cody is like no man you don't want any part of that but he's part of our gang. You know what? You're a real douchebag. What did you say? Douchebag. Okay. You know, go fuck yourself. What? All right. All right. I'm going to school because I don't want to go back to prison. So now we get our three teachers entering complete with Terminator vision mm-hmm. as they're scanning the school and it's like, we see ruffians, all that kind of stuff. You think they're nervous on their first day of school? Am I going to make friends? Are we going to sit with the lunch? They've got friends already. There's three of them. It's like if you transferred schools with your best friend, like you've got somebody to hang out with already. So point. you're not dealing with the same kind of social pressures you know it's the first day at a new job you're gonna feel nervous about that i like how mr history robot is always wearing this like tweed jacket and a sweater vest and a tie and he has this pipe smartly perched in the corner of his mouth he looks like he belongs on the front of the clue board game in multiple roles chad is somebody that wears a lot of sweater vests Mm -hmm. that is my work clothes of choice i can tell you right now that every article of clothing that i own that goes over my torso 100 of them have sleeves oh not me chad Mm -hmm. i'm living the sweater vest lifestyle (laughs) and i love it i'm never going back i do wear a lot of sport coats though okay that's fair i like to look nice when i go out i wear a tie and a button-up in the sweater vest almost every day and and it's a good look yeah look in my mind that is what a teacher looks like and so when i saw this guy in a sweater vest i was like i like the cut of this guy's chip (laughs) I like what I like what he's adopting that look. Uh I like that when we see the robot vision in this movie that it shows us data about their environment, including the school's population, which is three thousand two hundred eighty-seven, and it also states that a violent incident happens every two hours and thirty-eight seconds. Yes. That's like three to four a day. That seems kind of low to me. For this school being filled with 3,000 criminals, yes. Right. I expected it to be like 20 or 30, but all right. And also, I applaud the students of Kennedy High School for even going to school to get an education. They live in a hellscape. (laughs) Absolutely. They want a better life for themselves. (laughs) They want to fill their heads with knowledge, Bo. Or maybe school is where they buy drugs and ammunition. This is the scene, as they're walking in, they go past one of the kids who's being asked to surrender the weapon 
weapon. And this guy is holding on, not holding on to, hugging an Uzi. <laughs> like it is his his comfort Uzi. He's got a special note from this for his doctor to take it on planes. Do I gotta? Yeah, give me the whoopee. <laughs> right? I don't want to give you the whoopee. You gotta give me the whoopee. But I love it so much. We'll, we'll give it back to you at the end of the day. Okay, it better have all the bullets. It will. It will gonna be okay on his way in cody is accosted by his old gang the blackhearts so cody your brother sister here says you don't want to be a blackheart no more and cody responds what if i don't and also you can tell who's in the blackheart gang because they have a small black heart drawn on their face with a sharpie marker or quite possibly a crayola marker that is losing its ink like you got to run it under warm water to get it flowing again and to get out of the gang all you gotta have have is some lava soap hot water and a little elbow grease and boom you're not a black art no more also chad there is a healthy amount of green and purple in their outfits which mm-hmm. make them all look like they are henchmen for the joker yes and at the end of the movie cody puts on a new jacket that makes him look like count von count from sesame street which is purple and black with a hint of green and they're like i guess we're gonna have to waste you if you don't want to be in our club anymore if you ain't with us you're a guinness we're gonna have to kill you cody says if i get caught ganging then i'll go back to prison so i guess you'll have to kill me or go back to prison and i die either way i'm dead he just heads into school angel seems very disappointed by the fact that cody has sort of turned his back on the gang is everybody in the future dressed like they're on the set of a four non-blondes video shoot a hundred percent. They're wearing this pretend futuristic getup, but there's also a whiff of steampunk thrown in there, but it's accidental. Cast and crew alike, Chad. What's going on? <laughs> she went on to write and produce a lot of Pink's music. That makes some sense. Yeah, that lead singer. I yeah. forget her name right now, but yeah. I was like, oh, good for you. Pink makes a fortune. There you go. Cut to Stacy Keach on his first day, and he's in the robot war room watching all of his robots do their robot teaching. There's a lot of fake computers with machines with lots of lights flickering and video monitors. You know the type I'm talking about. They've been around since like the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And the soundtrack for this movie is garbage. And I don't mean the pop songs that were used in it or the, the real songs like the musical score. It sounds like it was composed posed on a Casio keyboard with the extended drum kit feature. It's terrible. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty bad. The actual songs being used aren't nearly as bad. Yeah, that closing credits one. It's rough. Yeah, that's not Yeah, it's like this royalty-free version of Don't You Forget About Me. Very much so. (laughs) I also like when they cut away from the robot lab, there's a sign flashing in the hallway of the school that says, Obey, Respect, Learn. Mm -hmm. I kind of get the idea that there's something approaching a theme being knotted at here, but... That's not this kind of movie. You're not going to learn a lesson from class of 1999. Then Malcolm McDowell shows up to give the robots in his office the files on the problem students. Or he's like, here, here's some real motherfuckers. I put all of the problem students into your classrooms. Ah, good luck. My fantastic robotic trio is going to take care of all of the terrible troublemakers here in my high school. Fantastic. Can you do the thing with your face one more time? I know I keep having you do it, but it's so incredible. I love seeing it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. 
Yes. Oh, oh. fantastic. Let me get my secretary in here. Bzz. Mrs. Kinneyson, come in here. You've got to see something. Don't worry. She knows about the secret experiment. It's not as secret as I make it out to be. It's sort of like saying, you know, the Olive Garden is an Italian restaurant. <laughs> it's not really Italian. It's more American Italian. But that matter, it's barely a restaurant. Although I do love the endless soup and breadsticks. I guess I'm not alone in this room. Oh, wait, you're robots. You don't eat anything. That's incredible. <laughs> I keep forgetting because you're so lifelike. Anyway, I've assigned you to your classes. Enjoy your first day. Oh, also, I've given you a gift bag. You're going to find some post-it notes in there. Also some pins, highlighters. I don't know what these children do with all these highlighters, but they go through them like toilet paper. So we cut to Pam Greerbot. It's her science class. Cody walks in and he sits down to a girl named Christy. She's the pretty girl in our movie. She also, it turns out, is the daughter of the school's principal, Malcolm McDowell. Now, Christy is played by an actress named Tracy Lynn, or possibly Tracy Lind, depending upon which day it is. And it turns out in real life, Bo, she was romantically involved with Dodie Fayed, the guy who died with Princess Diana of Wales. Ooh. Yeah. And Tracy Lind later accused Dodie Fayed of multiple forms of abuse, but he was already dead when all that came out, so he couldn't really refute the charges, you know, being dead and all. Yeah, it's tough to, you have to hold a seance in the court and that hardly stands up. They're not allowing lie detector tests. You think they're going to take testimony from a seance? Forget about it. Oh man, if only, Chad. I wish we lived in that kind of world. <laughs> all these Trump trials would be a million times better. It seems like it would make murder trials very quick. Right. Like, ooh, we are summoning the ghost of Susan McTarion. Who killed you? Joey. Clack, clack. Guilty. You just get the Ouija board out? Did the guy that we put on trial murder you? <laughs> All right, now put your one finger. Don't push it. Don't push it. You just put your finger on there and You're let the punch it. it. I can feel it. You're, no, I'm not. Oh, it says yes. Well, I'm afraid the death penalty for you. Ask it. Ask it. I want the name of the killer. Hold on. F U. Okay. C. Oh, I know where this is you, going. You're that's, pushing it. That's the fifth time this week that the, the murderer was fuck you. <laughs> Uh, you know what? Just go to the Magic 8 Ball. That's going to be cleaner. <laughs> Is this the murder? Shake, shake, shake. Ask again later. Uh, Damn! The court's in 15 recess. 15-minute recess. We'll be back. So anyway, Cody sits beside Tracy Lynn, <laughs> a.k.a. Christy, in this movie. And then in comes Pam Greer, looking great in this movie. She's got quite the hair. She and is so underutilized in this film. A hundred percent. This is a real waste of Pam Greer. Although, Pam, this scene she's great in, and then she kind of fades in the background of the movie, unfortunately. It's a real shame. Yeah. Especially having seen what she is capable of in cinema from around this era. When she walks into this classroom, all the students are there. It looks like the start of the Muppet movie when they're all in the theater. <laughs> it's just absolute chaos. Up to and including, Chad, somebody with a plunger that <laughs> drops it down to blow up a seat nearby. <laughs> Somebody's got boomerang fish. It's all there. <laughs> Pam Greer comes in and she says, I am your chemistry teacher. And this one ruffian's like, fuck off. And Pam Greerbot says, if you're going to be in my class, you have to be cool. And then this escalates to Pam Greerbot coming over, knocking the student to the ground, and then jamming the stiletto heel of her shoe into this guy's foot. 
Yes. And the guy just starts screaming and yelling and losing his mind. She ends up throwing one dude around. She puts him in a chokehold to get yeah. him to sit down. And Hector is the one that she steps on the heel of. And then she just roughs up both of these dudes. Yeah. And there's one guy in the back of the room, Barry. He's like, whoa, I'm starting to tingle. I think I just learned something about myself. <laughs> and then everyone just starts acting normal. Yeah. Meanwhile, the nerds back in the robot lab are like, oh, her skin temperature jumped up, but now it's normal again. She handled that with grace and aplomb. I think the guy that she stabbed in the foot was Hector. That's right. Remember the one who got chunked out of the back of that truck? Yeah, so he's still alive, apparently. And he gets a hole in his foot. Like, ooh, that's yeah. rough. He's never going to walk the same again. This movie also, though, has a lot of winks or tippo the hat to a clockwork orange. Oh, I mean, Malcolm sure. McDowell's in it. So first off, that's what you're thinking of, because you can't get that out of your head, as you mentioned in the introduction. Hector has fake eyelashes under his right eye, mm -hmm. and one of the Blackhearts constantly wears a little bowler hat and later Stacy Keach, he's drinking a glass of milk for no explainable reason. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was just me, but it seemed odd that there were this many things that reminded me of a clockwork orange. Also, it was weird that when you first meet Cody, he starts off by giving this whole speech about how there was him and his three droogs, and also <laughs> they're in a milk bar. Then there's the whole scene with the giant penis. Wait, I think I just watched a clockwork orange again. <laughs> I think you did too. Huh. Boy, I'm really blacking out a lot lately. Do you remember when I was younger, like middle school or high school, I had a poster of a Clockwork Orange, and it wasn't just like a normal size poster. Yeah. This poster was easily four to five feet tall and however many feet wide on my wall. If my kid had that, we would need to have a talk. I didn't think about it until really just now that knowing yeah. your parents, it's amazing to me that they never stopped you and said, Chad, did you watch a Clockwork Orange? When and how? And we do need to have a conversation about this. I not only watched it, I've watched it multiple times, and I've read the book. What do you want to talk about? Comparisons between the two themes of escalating violence in society. Whether Alex is an anti-hero or just a villain. The disassociative nature of ultraviolet people living among a normal society. Because if that's the case, we could really talk about crime and punishment as well. In fact, I've started putting together a side by... Wait, Mom? Dad? No. Oh, Vernon's back on the porn again. <laughs> So after class, Christy introduces herself to Cody. Hi, my dad's the principal and my name's Christy. And you know what I like to do? Change my outfits. And I love big dangly earrings. It's kind of my thing. So Cody, are we going to go on a date or what? Uh, this is the door to my classroom. Maybe I'll call you later. Maybe. <laughs> Definitely going to call me. I'm going to call you. <laughs> See you later. Oh my God. One of the guys from the gang is like, Cody, you might as well stick your dick in a meat grinder. And he's like, hey, what's that all about? And she's like, oh. <laughs> I think I know what that's about. It's because the principal is my dad and everything. And if he catches you doing something untowards with me, he's probably going to expel you and maybe send you back to jail or something. Anyway, give me a ring. Bye. <laughs> that guy, Barry, peeks around the corner. What'd they say about sticking your dick in a meat grinder? Barry, what a day. I can't wait to journal about this later. The next class is history, Chad. Yes. With my favorite character of the movie, the robot history teacher. He's having the most fun, as you mentioned in the intro. He comes in and gives this whole speech. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be the most difficult class 
you've ever had. There's going to be two hours of homework every night. A test every two weeks. I operate from a model of absolute zero tolerance for chicanery, tomfoolery, and especially jackassery. And then none of the students give him any respect. Absolutely not. In fact, two immediately start fighting in the background. We get some more Terminator vision again, where it's like murder them, yell at them, corporal punishment, and that's Mm -hmm. the one he picks. So he goes over, Chad, grabs these two dudes up, drags them back to his desk, puts one over his knee, steps on the other one so he can't move, and then does this robot spanking (laughs) where it's real fast and this mechanical motion Mm -hmm. and just spanks both of them. 20 times. It's not like three whacks just so that you know you did something wrong. Yeah, it's a real... It's like Foghorn Leghorn beating that dog's ass with the two by four. Yes, it is great. I love this so much. Barry's in the back of the class. What do I got to do to get some of that? Wait, does Pam Greerbot, does she spank? (laughs) If so, I have a feeling that Barry's going to be an intolerable student next period. We got to our movie's bad guy, Stacy Keach, and his scientisticians in robot hq and they all applaud about how this robot handled the situation like very good exactly what we wanted to see and then the school bell rings and all the students dash out the front door of the school to go fire their semi-automatic weapons while high on drugs and continuing the gang wars there's one scene in this movie where all the kids leave school and one of the actors in the film jumps from the top step with his arms in the air with that yippee motion <laughs> and it's delightful that he hasn't lost that sense of child like mirth one thing we can agree on is this movie has a sense of whimsy (laughs) angel by the way is like hey guess what cody i've been thinking care of your bike and they go inside their house where they find ed from northern exposure all bloody and he's got some symbols slashed into his chest oh i didn't see that i thought he just opened up his shirt and he was like they got me in the parking lot you you guys left me look at this and there's all of this sorry ass horror movie makeup slashes on his body it looks real cheap it matches the crappy blood on his face also i want to point out wikipedia says that ed from northern exposure is the adopted brother in this movie and that cody and angel are half siblings Uh, i don't know where they got this information like ancestry.com or 23andme i have no idea but somebody put that on wikipedia which is the most trusted source of information on the internet because the internet is extremely untrustworthy. Also, don't trust Wikipedia. Angel asks him, who got you? The Ratherheads? And Ed from Northern Exposure says, no, it was that Nazi security guards. They turned me over to that new history teacher. He's insane. I'm like, man, that spanking got out of control. Yeah. Wait till Barry hears about this. Then Ed from Northern Exposure is like, hey, I need a hit. Can you guys find me some drugs to do? Sure thing. I'll be right back. And then Cody's drinking a beer, which, look, I don't condone underage drinking, but... I did like that they were drinking beer in this movie and that the brand of the beer was beer and it's a label paste over a Coors bottle, but beer is written in the Coors font. But then Chad... Out of this back room or the kitchen or something, Angel comes running out with the edge that he has swiped, chased by their mother, who is also a junkie. Yeah. Hey, that's my edge. What you do? Take it on my edge. And then Angel is like, hey, guess what, mom? Look who's home from prison. Oh, look who come crawling back. 
And Cody is like, you guys are all pathetic. And he chunks the beer bottle at the wall. Smash. Yeah. And then just runs off on his motorcycle, which is the appropriate thing to do in this situation. You got to mm-hmm. get out of there, Cody. Everything is going wrong at home. Highway to the danger zone. We cut back to one presumes the next day where at school, Christy is being accosted by a gang member. She walks past a group of razor heads and one of them shouts out so do smart girls give better head <laughs> good one high five she walks around the corner and then one of the razor heads begins to sexually assault her yes cody sees this runs around the corner and he shouts out hey you get your damn hands off her cody punches the razor head in the face and he spins around three times and then cody and christy go to the enchantment under the sea dance and they have a child who grows up and later time travels with a wide-eyed crazy haired scientist and both that is the unknown backstory to how rick and morty was created huh yeah are you sure you didn't just watch back to the future again no i'm I'm pretty sure i just made that up fair enough so then chad after all of this business after cody yeah we when cody stops her right yeah Uh (laughs) uh-huh the pe teacher shows up and pulls Uh, cody off of him and drags him to malcolm mcdowell's office i appreciate the fact that you stopped my daughter from being raped repeatedly i would assume that's how they normally do it around here i really really do thank you but honestly you should have gone to a teacher for help like who the pe teacher's crazy man well i think we're just about done here i'm going to let things slide this one time mister but in the future when you're breaking up an attempted rape don't use so much ultra violence you're going to go back to prison no after class did anyone catch my reference to clockwork orange when i said ultra violence anyone hmm? no all right no time for the old in and out love come to read the meter i'm saying and in the rain anyone nothing Nothing from anyone? All right, well, what class are you going to anyway? I've got PE with this crazy son of a bitch. Yes, come with me to your PE class, beep boop. So off they go. Bo, this gym teacher is teaching wrestling, and the gym teacher is wearing a full wrestling singlet. That's how you do it. Is it? Yeah. Is it? I don't think it is. The PE coach is forcing one of the Blackheart gang members to do multiple push-ups, and then the guy just collapses, and he kind of slaps him around a little bit, and he sends everybody off to the showers except for cody beep boop you need to stay here and then he just proceeds to just beat the shit out of cody absolutely beats the holy hell out of him at which point he's like hey have you had enough and cody says you should really lay off the steroids i hear they shrink your robot penis Mm -hmm. and this robot who whether or not possesses a penis or not we're never sure but he does take this very personally and then continues to beat the shit out of cody the blackheart member who was being forced to do all those push-ups he goes into the locker room does a hit of edge grabs a gun and he's like you know what i'm just gonna go shoot this guy and he walks in and sees the PE teacher beating the hell out of Cody. And Cody's face is now just covered in blood. The guy pulls a gun out. Hey, you, get your damn hands off of him, her. And then Coach Robot leaps into action, twists this gangbanger's arm around, and then snaps his neck, killing this kid. Yes. Who is played by a 25-year-old, because all of the teenagers in this are clearly able to rent a car. Yes, they all have full beards. mortgages couple of kids at home yeah for sure and then stacy keach meanwhile (laughs) that was fantastic well this is wonderful all these (laughs) robots are evolving and learning this is the best possible outcome and this bald nerd marv (laughs) well sir (laughs) 
I don't know about this, boys. I really think that these robots killing some of the teenagers is a bad outcome. <laughs> They're educating them as well as killing them, right? You can't have one without the other. You know what they say. If you're going to make an omelet, you're going to have to kill some children. I don't think that's what they say, sir. I <laughs> think that this is a bad outcome. I, I'm just going to crunch a few more numbers. Yes, yes, you do that, nerdling. Mm. And in the meantime, these robots will have the run of the school. Turn the monitor back on. The one in the girls' locker room. Better yet, the one in the girls' bathroom. You know what I like. <laughs> Bring Barry in here. I think he's going to enjoy some of this. <laughs> so outside, Christy is waiting for Cody, who's coming out of the infirmary. What happened to you? I'd hate to see what would happen if you tried to help an old lady across the street. Also, thanks for preventing my rape earlier. You're a real stand-up guy. I don't really want to talk right now. I just saw a friend die i think he was my friend i mean we never spoke in the movie but i do think if we took some time to get to know each other we would have found that we had a lot in common day drinking drug abuse etc etc anyway that pa teacher didn't have to kill my best friend who in the future maybe if it wasn't dead christy by the way is like well you know that guy did pull a gun he was kind of asking for it at which point cody says you mean mohawk my friend who was my best friend who i didn't really talk to but i <coughs> really sense that we were really going to get along. And I'm sad that all the days ahead of us where we could just hang out and talk and play some video games and do some day drinking. This is never going to happen. He was so wasted because I know Mohawk. If anybody knows Mohawk, it's me, okay? Because I just got out of jail. <laughs> and I learned that sometimes you can be a best friend. There's a great line from Gonzo the Great. It says, there's not a word yet. For old friends who just met, and that was me and Mohawk. We were old friends who just met, and he was so wasted, he wouldn't have known which end the bullets came out of. I'm out of here. And so he just leaves Christy behind. <laughs> we cut to Mr. History Robot's teaching class, and he's given a lesson on the Trojan War. That's pretty clever. How fitting. Mm. There's a knock on the door. Enter Ed from Northern Exposure, who's all tanked up on the drug edge and his face is covered in blood so much so that it looks like he lost a round of hands-free strawberry pie eating contest it's covered and then ever northern exposure he staggers around the classroom the acting here is superb for a high school production of the film clean and sober i mean it is a guy <laughs> acting high yes and there are people in the room they're like geez ed you need to sit down man no i got it i yeah. feel great and he walks over to the history teacher bot. Yeah, Barry's in the back. Spanking, spanking, spanking. And Ed just <laughs> leans over and vomits. <laughs> yeah. At which point the history teacher is like, well, that's just about enough of that. And takes him outside into the hallway. And yeah. Cody kind of registers some alarm like, oh, that ain't good. Mm -mm. And the history teacher takes ed from northern exposure into the hallway to his locker punches through the locker and rips the door off yeah in the locker is a bunch of these little edge capsules yep and then much like hank hill making bobby smoke the teacher then just starts shoving these edge pills into ed's mouth mm -hmm. until his mouth foams and he ods the nerds at the lab by the way are watching all of this and are like would somebody please call stacy keach i think mm -hmm. we've got a real problem here barry's peeking around the corner hiding his erection with his books these new teachers are opening my eyes to so many exciting opportunities the history teacher comes back and literally holding a bloody cross necklace mm -hmm. from the student he has just murdered. And Cody's like, wait a second. I think that's my adopted 
brother maybe his <laughs> necklace. And then we cut to Malcolm McDowell's office where Stacy Keach and all the robot teachers are there. Malcolm McDowell says, Well, what do you have to say for yourselves? It's your first day. You've killed two students you spanked two students till their bottoms were bloody red you punctured a student's foot with your shoe you know by thinking about it perhaps i could have structured those in an order of least to most egregious but what's done is done not to mention the copious pages of erotic fan fiction from a student named barry that i'm having to read i don't want to be overly critical here i mean this is a secret project and i enjoy a secret project as much as the next person but i think we can all agree that could have gone better. <laughs> what's done is done, and what's done is done in self-defense. Look into my white, piercing eyes. <laughs> Would I lie to you? Of course not. <laughs> For no good reason, this entire scene, Stacy Keach is eating a banana. That's another good one. If you're an aspiring screenplay writer, have your villain eating fruit, preferably apples. Right. That's the go-to. It's very funny to me. But he's not eating it in a sexy way. No, no, no. It's just, like, while I'm here at this meeting where Malcolm McDowell is giving me a dressing down for my robots mm-hmm. killing a couple of his students i'm gonna get a quick snack in <laughs> malcolm mcdowell is like listen uh stacy keach i would like to talk to you alone without the r-o-b-o-t-s and leave the banana out of the picture as well hold on a moment bang 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 barry get away from the window it's stacy keach is like yeah whatever you want to be that's fine i don't care stacy keach Stacy Keach, it's me, Barry. I've got a bunch of bananas. If you like, oh, I'll meet well, you in the parking lot. Bring me the bananas, Barry. I think we have a lot to talk about. We cut over to Christy and Cody, who come into Malcolm McDowell's office after this meeting. Listen, Dad, this guy that I met who is totally not sleeping with me yet, although I think he's gonna, he has something that he wants to tell you. He thinks that the history teacher had something to do with the death of his loser druggy friend. That's preposterous. That clearly didn't happen. Be gone. Be gone. Whatever you say, Dad. Love you. Bye-bye. I have some press I'm going to talk to, and that's exciting. So, both of you get the hell out of my office, and I'll talk to you at home later, sweetie. Mm -mm. On their way out, you see Cody, like, snag something off the secretary's desk, although he doesn't say what it is right away. Right. And back in the hallway, Cody is like, yeah, the teachers are on some kind of killing spree they're killing students left and right maybe you believe me if you weren't so suburban and all you're thinking you're just a rich girl who's playing a part in this school you don't know what's really going on <laughs> excuse me i don't have to take any shit from an illiterate gangbanger all right if you want to get with this you're gonna have to clean up your act mister maybe we're just from two different worlds and it takes off boo <laughs> I can't believe he doesn't love me and my earrings and my ever-changing outfits. He's just so occupied with his best friend Mohawk's death. <laughs> he just can't see that this love would make him whole. We get to Principal Malcolm McDowell and Stacy Keach are having dinner where they're not having bananas. Uh, this <laughs> is where Stacy Keach is just drinking a big glass of milk for no good reason. And the whole discussion is about how I just wanted the school to be safe for learning. And Stacy Keach is like, hmm... Yes, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to <laughs> extend this program across all of the troubled schools in America. But you, you're going to get your face on the cover of Time magazine. Hmm? How about that? Sounds pretty good, right? Waitress, another gallon of milk, please. I also like the fact that Stacy Keach points out to him, like, well, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, Malcolm McDowell, but you are a participant in a criminal cover-up now. So <laughs> if this all works out with Megatech, then you're going to be famous and I'll be rich, so let's just leave 
leave it at that. Later that night, Cody goes to the Blackheart gang headquarters where rock music is blaring and people are indiscriminately firing weapons in this mosh pit. Mm -hmm. And here, this is where the gang is jumping in Angel to officially be initiated. And Cody shouts out, Everybody, Mr. History Robot, killed Ed from Northern Exposure. It wasn't a drug overdose. And the Blackhearts, they don't believe him. So they decide to kill Cody and they start a fight. And this whole thing looks like the lead up to a boss battle from the end of Double Dragon. It's like one (laughs) dude against 20 street thugs. Well, but the next day, Chad, Cody just has a slight bruise on his right cheek. Because he was the playable character in Double Dragon in that fight. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) And as soon as he finds Christy at school and sits down with her at this lunch table outside, Mm. everybody else clears out. They're like, we don't want any part of this asshole. I'm really sorry what I said to you about being a suburban rich girl. I think these teachers are really behind it and I need to get some proof. And I think I can, but we've got to track down the history teacher's house. You want to come with me? And she's like, I've never cut class before. That's what poor people do. You've never cut class? Well, you're in for a treat. Oh my God. Here, take all my money. Now I'm poor. All right, let's go. But wait, now you're rich. Give that guy all of my money. All right, now we're both poor. We can go cut class now. Come on. And so they jump on his motorcycle and she's in the seat behind him. And he says, hey, I need you to reach into my pants. Don't get too excited. That's just the teacher address book I stole from the secretary. Oh, my God, you're a bad boy. Hold on. As we're going 50 miles down the road, let me open up this little flimsy book and see what's going on. Here we go. Looking for mystery history teacher robot's address. Hey, wait a minute. His address is the same as Pam Greerbot's address and the PE robot coach's address. This is weird. So they break into the house where the three robots live and there's no furniture or food. There's just three chairs with, I'm guessing, or like recharging stations or something. And the shelves are full of WD-40. That is absolutely one of my favorite touches in this movie is when they open up the cabinets. (laughs) And and, and And it's lined up like they're at the grocery store. Yes, it is. Label out. Top to bottom, (laughs) unmistakably a cabinet full of WD-40. It is a delight. And there's no decoration or anything like that. Then we see that the teachers are now heading back to their recharging station. Right. And Christy is holding up this bra in Pam Greerbot's bedroom. I don't know if you understand this, but it's weird that she just has a lacy bra and there's no like matching panties. Also, there's no women stuff. Women like stuff. And then all of a sudden from you hear from the window, hey, it's me, Barry. I didn't steal her panties, but I totally stole her panties. Bye. Barry, get out of here. That guy's a creep. <laughs> And he's getting weirder. Have you noticed that he's gotten weirder since the teachers showed up? He's constantly asking me to kick him in the balls and smack (laughs) his face. And then when I don't do it, he says that denying him is just as sexy. And it's weird. And he's always got his hands in his pants. Not the pockets, his pants. I don't know if he has the teacher's home address directory in there or not, but I'm not going to find out. Anyway. I haven't been listening because I found this necklace. Covered in blood. It looks a lot like the one that Ed from Northern Exposure was wearing. This might be a clue. And as he finds that the teachers pull in and our heroes start to take off. We got to go out the back window. Come on. There is this moment where the history teacher bot is like, respect for private property. That's the foundation of civilization. And the PE teacher bot is like, 
Yeah, the best defense is a good offense, beep-boop. And I like how these are all programmed to be, respectively, intellectuals or meatheads based on the class that they're teaching. Right, And they just adopt that personality. Mm Mm-hmm. Cody and Christy hop on the motorcycle and they take off. But then immediately Cody pulls over and says, hey, I need you to get off the bike. It's going to make the next scene easier to film with just one stunt person on this motorcycle. So she runs off and then Cody's stunt double is on the motorcycle driving away. And the three robot teachers in their car, they pursue Cody through the streets of Seattle and they bang into Cody's motorcycle multiple times, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't knock him over. And this ultimately ends where he crashes the motorcycle and then the robots in their car drive off appear into the ocean and then cody just gets back on his motorcycle and escapes and i also want to point out that the rest of seattle isn't a hellscape Mm -hmm. it's only this school district that is planted in the center of the city that lives in this alternate future where biff tannen is corrupt and powerful and married to your mother and in which this happens to me and careful listeners will notice that that was the fourth back to the future reference this episode there's three more coming i'll bet you can't find them all cody then goes home where he for no good reason (laughs) gives angel this belated birthday present of comic books in a paper bag did you think it was comics or porno originally i thought it was porno i went back and i think they're comic books the two aren't mutually exclusive right it could be like some frank frazetta shit some r crumb material that gets close angel's like what is that good this is my birthday my birthday was months ago say would you want to go outside and shoot some hoops you want to go shoot who shoot some hoops you want to who are we gonna kill no silly we're gonna go outside and shoot some hoops let me get my guns i know that you're my brother and all but you're getting harder to understand every day i just think well why didn't you say you wanted to go outside and shoot some hoops also toss me that towel i need to wipe myself down before we go i'm gonna call christy don't even worry about because mom forgot got to pay the bill because she was doing drugs also she's not gonna be in this movie anymore i'm not sure why she was in it earlier oh it's like when i showed everyone that shrapnel scar going through the metal detector that didn't matter either i get exactly it. it's just like that let's go through some hoops who are we gonna shoot the teachers then climb out of the water and the history teacher again pretending that he is the leader of this group is like i suggest that we play a war game to solve our little cody problem He's the general Zod of this trio. Absolutely. Yeah. Cody then, as they're tooting some poop, breaks off the game to go do some homework. And Angel is like, what? You're leaving me here to go do some homework? Wow. Before he breaks off, Cody says, hey, Angel, I need you to know something. I really love you. I'm so happy that we're back together as a family. And when I was in prison, I dreamed of seeing my brother or my sister or whatever you are once again. And I mean, nothing, nothing is ever going to separate us again. It's you and me together forever i gotta go do some homework it's getting dark but i want you to stay safe little bro sis all right i don't want you going and getting killed on me after all that foreboding nice stuff i just said little bro sis all right i love you too i'm just gonna stay out here to the booth cut to angel walking home smoking a cigarette Mm -hmm. and dribbling a basketball using two hands like a chimpanzee that's how i dribble (laughs) that's just a lack of coordination on my part though and the teachers pull up beside him and he's like Uh hey i know what you're gonna ask but no i don't want any candy Like, no, that's how we're here. And the PE teacher gets out, chases him down, throws him against a wall. Uh-oh, that's not good. Also, did they pull their car out of the bay? The robots? I think they just rented the exact same car. <laughs> <laughs> they went into the rental office and they're like, look, we really, really liked the car we had, but 
through circumstances that could not be controlled, that car is now at the bottom of the river. So we want the exact same one again. And also, it begs the question, did they buy the car or rent in the first place? Because they're robots. And do you buy a car for robots? Because at a certain point, you know that it's you're going to end up in the back. Right. <laughs> so they probably just went in and were like, we are so glad we got the insurance. Beep, bop, boop. Remember when we rented that car and got the insurance? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, funny thing. We crashed it into the ocean. So that's where your car is now. We would like another place. With also, extra insurance this time as well. Even more insurance than the first time. Because this one is probably going to get blown up, <laughs> then end up in the ocean. So there's going to be nothing you can salvage from this thing. In fact, we are intentionally going to crash it into other cars that you've rented to other people that don't have insurance. So Heads up, we are going to be in a war zone soon. So if you could go ahead and order a third car exactly <laughs> like the first two because we're going to need that in about 48 hours so then our three teachers they pull up and apprehend one of the razor heads mm -hmm. so they now have a black heart angel and we have a razor head and they take this razor head and set this person on fire and throw him through the front window of razor head headquarters dude <laughs> hector's in there nursing his wounds from earlier being thrown out of the back of a truck and having a stiletto heel punctured through his foot and when this flaming body comes in they're all like we know exactly who did this it was the blackhearts we must go kill them and then we cut to cody showing up at blackheart hq where they find angel his brother sister hanged covered in terrible <laughs> movie blood and angel is now unfortunately dead Bo. them throwing this burning body through a window is so damn good and and also angel being hung and we are barreling into the third act of the movie already we're gonna wrap this up real quick at blackheart hq somebody finds a basketball it was the one that angel was double dribbling the night before uh -huh. and written on it in blood or ketchup or sharpie it says war zone high noon and cody just loses his mind i want them all jump me in jump me back into the black heart gang which is not a sound strategy to get your ass kicked before you're off to go beat up a rival gang what do i know i've never been in a gang he even used some choice profanity here where he's like i need you to jump me the fuck back in and i was like wow cody is upset kiss your mom with that mouth if so, does she taste like drugs? Back at Robot HQ, Stacy Keach walks in while the nerds are just freaking out about what all the teachers are doing. Sir, in addition to all of the murder and spanking and foot piercing that has been going on in the classroom, uh, it turns out that all of the robot teachers have not returned to teach uh, as they are robot uh, programmed to do, sir. Well, that's incredible. I'm impressed that they decided to make emotional decisions on their own and not to teach. Sometimes the decision not to teach is just as important as the decision to teach. It's like playing jazz. It's the teaching that you don't do that's part of the teaching. And honestly, I'm impressed by them crossing over into more emotional decision making. And one of the nerds is like, yes, but they seem to be rejecting the teacher programming and reverting back to their military programming. Better still, maybe they'll go over and teach those people at Olive garden a good lesson last time i was there i had diarrhea for two days you know how much milk i had to drink to get my digestive tract back in line 16 gallons in 48 hours that's no easy feat and i just want to point out that conversely milk does not give me gas um, sir, I just want to refute that Does one point. Does not give me gas. Statistically speaking, sir, that there is always a little bit of gas produced when you- I move. said it does not give me gas. Also, it smells like milk farts in here all the time, sir. That wasn't me. 
that wasn't me, that was you. That's an old an old sketch I like. <laughs> we cut to the war zone at high noon, as was written on the basketball invitation. And it turns out, Bo, that the war zone is actually a paintball facility. <laughs> yeah, which is really nice. That is handy. If you've ever been driving down the interstate and looked over and seen a paintball facility, that's what this is. It's yes. like a bunch of oil drums and those big wooden spools for cable and all kinds of hiding places for you to duck and cover behind. Stacked up wooden pallets, <laughs> some high grass, all of that is there. And here a battle begins between our two gangs with lots of gunshots and squibs and grenades. I think live grenades being tossed about. Yeah. There's just <laughs> random explosions. Just some stuff pulled out of a military surplus store yeah. that they're like, ah. Uh, this costs us $300 and it could definitely murder 30 people. So yes. let's just use it. It is just a crazy late 80s, early 90s action movie action scene. Yeah, it's just an explodathon of just random stuff blowing up left and right. Squibs are going off as people are getting shot up. It's wonderful. I and they're just like, it. ah! And they fall over yeah I mean, it's, falling it's into everything. the water because it's by the the water side just murdering left and right and then the teachers show up and are like hee 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 we did this and are sneaking through the grass uh-huh. to start murdering some of these gangbangers as they're fighting each other yes they'll just sneak up behind one and shoot them or whatever and then cody and the leader of the Blackhearts end up going face to face with hector and one of his guys inside this like where warehouse on the water also the history professor is loose in the same building yes as they're sort of sneaking around cody and, and this black arts guy are sneaking around trying to get the drop on hector and his guy the leader of the black hearts is like hey i'm gonna go the other way and we'll classic pincher maneuver right and as he's going around the corner of this wall the history professor shoves his arms through, grabs this guy by the waist, and yanks him through the wall so that he mm. folds over like a chair, like a church picnic chair, Chad. Folds over backwards and is yanked through the wall. Cody looks in, and this dude is in two pieces <laughs> on the yeah. floor. Also fantastic. This is yeah. where the movie went from like, this is like a six to a solid seven for me. <laughs> In this room is our Mr. History Robot, who says, you're next, Mr. Colt. Because that's Cody's last name. Mm -hmm. Also, everybody runs around with Uzis in their hands in this movie, because that was the weapon of choice for late 80s motion pictures. Sure. Cody grabs his Uzi and he shoots Mr. History Robot, but he's a robot, so that doesn't kill him, Bo. Uh -huh. You can shoot anything with an Uzi at close range, and it is going to do massive damage. Yes. All right? It didn't hurt the Terminator in the original Terminator, because he was made from technology in the future. This is 1999. All right? Mm -hmm. People were shitting themselves over Y2K and they were watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? They didn't have bulletproof robot technology then. This robot would have gone down. But he doesn't. No. Oh, I'm coming to get you. He gives chase. Cody runs sure. away. And then Coach Robot and Pam Greerbot show up. And then our three robots, they regroup. They decide that they're going to come up with a plan to make the gangbangers all come to them for the finale of the film. Uh-huh. And we cut to the next day and Christy is off to school and Cody surprises her by jumping out from behind a bush or something. He says, those teachers, they're after me. We just had a game. Gang war. I shot Mr. History Robot and he didn't die. They're not human beings, they're robots. And Christy says, Are you sure about this? You know what? I believe you. How can I help? You're so cute. And they go to Malcolm McDowell once more and he's like, 
Well, I got a call about a certain breaking and entering done by a certain daughter of mine with a certain would-be gangbanger boyfriend. I think he's talking about us. Yes, I was talking about both of you. That's why I get straight A's. I know everything. We cut to later that night where Stacy Keach and Malcolm McDowell are once again arguing about the robots being kind of out of control. And the robots are just standing in the room along with them as they're having this argument. Honestly, should we be having this conversation with them in the room? I don't feel that I can speak freely about their performance with them here. It's intimidating. They've killed two students. They started a gang war, for God's sake. I'm just going to have a banana. You say whatever you need to say. I have received four contacts through my Tinder profile from various people named Barry, and I think I know who it is. This whole you have to learn or you're going to be killed model just isn't working out. These robots need to be turned off. At the risk of copyright infringement and future legal lawsuits, I am, and I'm choosing this word purposefully, terminating this program right now. Well, I see what you did there, but as Stacy Keach, the head of this program, I have to tell you that once this program has started, it cannot be stopped on account of I don't want to. Also, uh, how about this PE teacher, but why don't you take care of our little problem here? And so this PE teacher jams his fingers into Malcolm McDowell's throat mm-hmm. like he's choking him, but pierces the skin and yeah. it kills him like Malcolm McDowell murdered in his office by the PE teacher, bot. yeah. And then we go over to the Razorheads headquarters hector's there he gets a phone call on the gang line hola cody yeah this is hector meet you at school at midnight for a one-on-one fight you got it amigo click somebody says hey do you trust him to meet him one-on-one and hector's response is inscrutably chad i trust cody like a vampire giving me a blowjob uh can we maybe run that through an ai or something clean this line up because i don't like it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense well i guess because his penis is full of blood and it's gonna chomp on it you've watched a lot of terrible horror movies you ever seen a movie where a vampire bit a person on their erection oh i'm sure i have chad there's not one that comes to mind immediately though. no there's a lot of like inner thigh and leg bite. i'm thinking of the movie ah, vamp you go to the main vein well yeah. that's the one that you're draining oh yeah. then you don't go to the main vein right you go to an artery the right. main artery yeah yeah or right. uh maybe a, a, a capillary or two i'm not against it anyway so pam greer shows up at christy's house and demands that she get cody on the phone mm-hmm. and christy's like oh my god like i even know his number hang on i'll call we're sorry, this number has been disconnected due to delinquent bill payment. Oh, that's right. His mother's a crackhead. But she gets him on the phone because apparently she called his cell phone? Question mark. <laughs> that wasn't a thing. Yeah. And Pam Greer then adopts Hector's voice and says, Hey, S.A., I need you to meet me at the school. One, two, three. Yeah. Tic-tac-toe. <laughs> if you want to see Chrissy alive, I've got to get through to you we realize oh pam greer was the one who called hector and now she's calling cody and they're gonna meet up at the school that's what happened in megan man yeah (laughs) megan saw class of 1999 was like i got some good ideas but cody as soon as he hangs up the phone he's at the gang hq and he kind of looks around at everybody he's like wait a second why would hector want to do this at school he hates school dental plan lisa needs braces that wasn't hector everybody is like yeah why would he want to do this at school and they're just totally on board right (laughs) away to go storm the school they know that the teachers are the bad guys now i thought that he surmised that it was just a trap 
But no, maybe you did figure it out was those three wily robots. Yeah, he knows it's the robots. It's everybody else in the gang that's suddenly like, yeah, it is robots. Speaking of, in the robot room at school, all the nerds are now dead. Mm-hmm. The robots have come <laughs> in and murdered them all. Tell my goldfish and my parakeet, I love them. I know it's weird to have fish and birds as pets, but I'm weird too. Get rid of the real doll. It's disgusting. Delete my internet history. Don't look between my mattress and my box springs. <laughs> I'm just alive enough to take care of the browser history. Okay, that's good. So Hector is waiting outside the school and Cody pulls up and then Hector is like, SA, one, two, three. I can't believe that you would be so gullible to show up without some backup. And then a bunch of razor heads come out of the woodwork. Yeah, he snaps his fingers and it's doom, doom. And then Cody is like, what, you think I'm that stupid, Hector? And then yeah. he snaps his fingers, and sure enough, all the black hearts show up, too, on motorcycles. Yeah. And then Cody is like, this isn't about you and me. I'm not the one who called you, and I didn't kill that razor head to begin with, and I know you didn't kill Angel. It's the teachers. They're setting us up. And with you guys and us, we're going to take those teachers on. What do you say? Hector is like, okay, you make some good points, I say. And... How about if we go inside and there are no teachers, this gang war is back on. One, two, three. I've only got one thing to say to that. Tic-tac-toe. Hey, hey, that's my line. I'm getting through to these kids. One of Cody's gang members then removes a grenade launcher from Mm -hmm. somewhere, fires it at the security gates of the school and blows them open. And then the Blackhearts start driving their motorcycles through this flaming opening. And then they just jump their motorcycles through the windows into the school. And they just start crashing through all of the doors and the walls. It's ridiculously nuts one line i gotta point out here that i thought was hilarious when cody is giving hector the parameters of their mission Uh uh-huh just make sure you don't hurt christy she's somewhere in the school and also these things are a bad fucked up george jetson nightmare if you don't get that reference the jetsons was an animated series that ran for just one season in the mid-1960s for just 24 episodes but the popularity of the show in syndication hannah barbera decided to make 41 new episodes in 1980 it eventually led to a feature film the show featured a lot of futuristic technology and lots of robots that's why i'm bringing it up now anyway let's go find christy and destroy these three teachers that i'm pretty sure are robots like 75 percent sure they're robots 60 percent they're robots. And then Hector tells a fellow gang member, Yo, Flavio, take a couple of razor heads up to the library. I hear they have the new Ann Beatty novel. The what, what, what? I looked up Ann Beatty. She's a pretty obscure author and is relatively unknown. I could not find any reason why she got a shout out in this movie. Apparently somebody was a fan. See Courtney Joyner, writer of Class of 1999, big Ann Beatty I fan. I guess so. Hector and his men end up running into Pam Greerbot and they shoot her up a bunch at which point she just rips open her chest so that everyone can see that she's got flammable gas tanks in her chassis or whatever and then she rips one of her arms off which turns into a flamethrower and then just starts setting people on fire including one guy on a motorcycle which is a pretty good stunt now when pam greerbot rips open her shirt to reveal all of her inner workings and the green ooze goop that's coming out Mm -hmm. we do see one of her nipples peeking out a little bit 
on the side. And I was looking really hard to see them nipples. But that's one thing that this movie is missing is gratuitous nudity. Not that I was missing, but for the time in which it came out, this movie felt like it should have had a smattering of that. Yes, but did not. it absolutely feels like it should have been a little more exploitative than it is. And I did not think about that until this moment where I saw Pam Greerbot's fake robot nipple peeking out from her blouse. Wait a second. Why wasn't there more of this in this movie? Yeah. Right. I was like, is that the first nipple we've seen in a movie that clearly in the script had then topless girls run from the locker room to hide as robots attack or something Mm -hmm. it's a strange inclusion it's one of those weird things where this is clearly not a real nipple and it's like oh you know why even do that but all right also the PE teacher rips off his arm he's got a rocket launcher and one of my favorite stunts of the whole movie is him shooting a rocket at a kid on a motorcycle on the second floor of the building Uh which explodes the wall outward along with said dude and the motorcycle it's a pretty good practical stunt it really is cody rides off to go find christy we don't even know if she's in the school or not but they're assuming that she is or for that matter if she's even alive cody rides his motorcycle up to a room where we guess christy might be held and this is a pretty big school there's a Mm -hmm. lot of places that she could be but luckily it turns out this is where she's being held cody finds christy and she's in this holding cell christy's so happy to see cody and uh it's also important to note that christy is about three inches taller than cody when they stand side by side yeah it's like you're hoping he goes through a growth spurt they're tom cruise and nicole kidman (laughs) during all those wedding photos like "Mm." All right. Mr. History Robot shows up and Cody and some other gang members, they shoot him with their guns. But it turns out his arm is a secret weapon that has a three pointed pincher, Mm -hmm. the kind that you would find on claw machines. And Mr. History Robot teacher, he pinches the face of one of the gang members that's not Cody. And then inside the claw is a drill that goes into this gang member's head. But it's not as gory as you would expect for a movie like this. They seem like they pulled their punches on what could have been a real over-the-top late 90s gore fest. For a movie that's as ridiculous as it is, it's surprisingly restrained at times. Yes. The arm he's got is basically the grabber from the Planet Pizza Machine from Toy Story. Yeah. Cody is about to get the same drill through the head routine that his buddy just got and that is when cody finally gets the uzi and blows the back of the history teacher's head out well he puts it in his mouth and what does he say bo well mr harden is history yeah because he was the history teacher chat but i i got it i got okay. it I'm, I'm tracking with you and so then they get to the office where christy finds her dead father's body like oh my god i think that's my dad laying there i'll process this later well because pam Greerbot is hot on their heels literally uh-huh. chad with a flamethrower mm-hmm. that seems like a real impractical weapon to kill people i get it if you're clearing out fields or putting down fire lines or something but and she chases them into the chemistry room well yeah it's the room she knows mm-hmm. at which point cody finds this fire axe and does this throw that goes across the room into the tanks in Pam Greerbot's chest, which start spewing gas. And so when she lifts the flamethrower to shoot at them, she explodes, 
which is, again, pretty good practical explosion effect. You made that sound a lot better than it was on film. And then Cody says, of course, well, I guess I blew that course. Two down, one to go. Stick around. I got one more of these in the chamber. (laughs) And so the PE teacher is the last robot in pursuit. They get outside, Cody and Christy do, where Hector distracts the PE teacher by shooting him some, while Cody hotwires one of the heavily armored school buses people hotwire vehicles a lot in movies pretty quick too i don't know that it's that easy in a hellscape like this you gotta learn a few skills chad i guess so you know what's number two Bo? what's that american sign language oh that's helpful sure so he hops in the bus yes and things are burning outside this school at night of course and robot pe coach guy is there with his rocket launcher arm he's distracted because hector's shooting at him and they just crash this bus into this robot smash through the front of the school and three down you would think that chad right because hector cody and christy reunite it's a big happy moment hector even makes a show of like tossing off his bandolier as if to say we are cool now sa one two three right and then inside they're looking around for survivors they find a bunch of dead guys they go downstairs to look for one of them on their bike i think and that is when the pe teacher chad drags himself out of the wreckage and this is an absolute terminator ripoff and i don't care because no half of his human face is still clinging to the terminator half yes and it is a nonsense effect it looks terrible you know when you watch terminator and there's that fake arnold in the bathroom and you're like this looks awful yes this looks worse than that yeah but again there is something charming about it i really love it i agree with that i'm not saying that it isn't endearing as a snapshot of time when people were making terrible movies with no money yeah but it looks awful it does look awful then stacy keats shows up in the basement with christy and cody and he grabs christy puts a gun to her head have they ever met him no (laughs) no of course not this wide-eyed white-haired black mustache black eyebrowed weirdo just shows up with a gun like what do you immediately think he's a robot he even says we've got to kill all of you because there can be no witnesses to these robots going haywire because i still have a lot of money to make on this whole cockamamie scheme right and hector slips a knife into the palm of his hand and is about to throw it at stacy keach who sniffs this out and shoots hector and gets shot and pulls the gun on hector and shoots it yeah at which point chad tic tac no The PE teacher shows up out of nowhere and rams his hand through Stacy Keach's chest for no good discernible reason. Why would he kill Stacy Keach? Maybe it's a Frankenstein's monster thing where he hates his creator. So the PE teacher is now chasing Christy and Cody around this room. But Cody, again, using his hot wiring skills, now hot wires a forklift. Yep. And goes after the PE teacher bot who is climbing up a ladder to get to Christy, who is climbing up into the, I don't know, the rafters of this room or something. (laughs) Who knows? I think they made this up as they went along. But he does impale this pee teacher bot with the forklift. Almost hitting Christy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really threads the needle on this. Oh, yeah. Two inches to the right, they're both dead. Cody understands that they're other fish in the sea that the important thing is killing this robot but when he doesn't impale her he's like christy be sure to wrap that chain around his neck and so she does at which point cody starts spinning the forklift around so that the chain wrapped around the pe teacher's neck is starting to 
to pull taut mm-hmm. and then pulls back. And then Cody, of course, says, have a nice stretch and yeah. then pulls the robot apart. Yeah. And it comes apart with green goop and slime and oil and whatever. With all the robots now destroyed, Cody and Christy get out of the school. The last shot of the movie is them walking down the steps of the school at night while little fires burn all over the lawn of this school and bodies and motorcycles and buses litter this battlefield. And then you hear, I won't forget about you. (laughs) This song is nothing like the movie The Breakfast Club. Uh Uh-uh. Please don't sue us. We're like Weird Al. This is a parody. Oh, and like freeze frame and the end. That is all of class of 1999. And you said earlier, Chad, when mm-hmm. saying, like, if you ever watched this movie, please don't. I'm going to come down slightly differently. I think if you enjoy B-movie silliness, this is one of the better examples of a very silly movie. But it is incredibly paced so that you don't really have time to stop and think about how bad the movie is before it's over (laughs) i would agree with that but one thing that people either email us about or have told me personally when they listen to this podcast they really enjoy are the stories that we share about our history together yes please and i don't think we've talked about this we saw this movie in the theater we did with whatever smattering of hooligans or droogies to stay on brand that we grew up with first off Anyone who saw a movie in the theater with any of us from the years 1987 through 1992, I just want to formally say, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. That that was a mistake. I apologize. We exhibited horrible behavior. It was essentially the same type of commentary we give on this podcast, but in real time with more youthful exuberance and way much more intolerance from the people around us. A healthy dose of profanity. Yes, it was bad. Sorry. Yeah, it was. There was a lot of really, really bad behavior. But in this movie, we exhibited some bad behavior, but the audience enjoyed it because we made a pact about two thirds of the way through the film that when they killed the final robot, we were all going to jump up and give a victory lap around the movie theater. And we did. Yes. And I think it ended with us chanting, Cody, Cody. <laughs> and we were so happy that he saved the day. Yes. And I remember people in the theater laughing <laughs> at this behavior. But this was the dollar theater, right? Like, the, you kind of get No, pick- no, oh, this wasn't not? the dollar this was... theater. This was full price. This Ugh. was at the Martin 4 or Martin 8. I don't know if they'd expanded yet, but yeah, they were paying their full 375 or 425 or whatever crappy movies cost back in the day. Oh, that's shameful. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. But. You know, it all worked out. Uh, sure. In the sense One that we, the right, most of those people are dead now. So that's that's We had nothing good. to do with their deaths either. Oh, no. Time and Mother Nature took care of most of that, but <laughs> they've gone on to a better place. Or not. Or they were terrible people and they went to a much worse place. And that's fine. Either way, that worked out is fine with me. It sounds like you've been reading the gospel according to Megan. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just here to protect children, Chad. Snatch off their ears like you're some sort of robot witch in the woods to teach them a lesson or two. Oh, man, if only. Yeah. That's, no, so. the, that's the life I should be leading, is just living <laughs> in a house in the woods and terrorizing children that happen to come across my path. That wouldn't be too hard for you to do right now. No, 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 it would not. <laughs> and that may just be what I do for Halloween night. And speaking of Halloween halloween let's talk about episode five for this season's uh theme of domo origato what are we doing for episode five bo well this week we did 
robot teachers. In a couple of weeks, we're going to do robot security guards. Yes. And have we done a movie with Barbara Crampton? Maybe not. <laughs> One of the great horror B-movie actresses of all time, Barbara Crampton, will join us along with robot security guards for a classic film yes. called Chopping Mall, and which oh is a God. play, Chad, on Shopping Mall. But it's with oh. a C-H instead of an S-H. So it sounds more like you're chopping up, say, some celery. I got you. And as memory serves, Chad, chopping mall does not involve a whole lot of chopping, but more lasers. <laughs> so it's laser chopping is what's happening. But it's a very silly movie, and it's a lot of fun. Much in the same way that Class of 1999 is a lot of fun. Chopping Mall is of this ilk of a very silly B-movie where people try having sex in a mall furniture store while robot security guards run afoul. And hmm. It'll be great. It's going to be a great pre-Halloween warm-up for you. I think you're, everyone's going to love it. And we had a lot of recommendations and submissions for this season. Some we were going to do, but then we backed away we really want to do something that was more in the Halloween theme and our final two episodes we think are going to check those boxes. So come back in two weeks time and we will be running around malls. There will be chopping. There might be some shopping. We're just going to have to wait and see. There's no way to predict, Chad. I've never seen this movie, but I will the next time you come back to listen to the show. And not only will have I seen it, that I'll have some things to share with you and you'll have some things to share with me too. And it'll be a time of sharing and that's what Halloween is all about. It is a time of celebration and sharing and gift giving and love. And, and frightening children from your house that's in the woods. And wandering through the woods and frightening children, yes. <laughs> As always, like, rate, review. You can email us at pick6movies at gmail.com. If you have an idea for a season, send it our way. We're always looking for something interesting and new to take on. Uh, Bo, any final thoughts that you have on the motion picture, the class of 1999? Well, even though I did not survive this movie, I thought it was a smashing success of an episode. Barry, get away from that window. Speaking of smashing, would you want to smash any of this area? Here, between here and here, specifically this area? Barry, sir. No. Well, yes. Okay, end the show. I've got smashing to do. Tee-hee! Barry wins again! <laughs> I like that we have a recurring character now. <laughs>